Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Exodus, chapter 33. We taught chapter 32 last week, where uh, Moses had delayed to come down out of the mount, and Aaron had taken the golden earrings and all the gold he could muster up and <clears throat> made a golden calf. Children of Israel worshipped the calf. He set aside a day, a feast day, to the Lord, built an altar before this golden calf and proclaimed a false feast day. You know, if God hasn't said that it's one, it's not one. And when He says it is one, that's one we're to observe. And uh, we talked about that and how God's wrath was kindled against uh, the children of Israel because of their sin. Moses came down off the mount and he broke the two tables of stone and indicative that they had broken God's law even before Moses had gotten down off the mountain with the commandments. And uh, Moses burned up the golden calf, burned it in the fire and burned it to ashes and strode it on the water and made them drink of the, the water of that <clears throat> golden calf that was burnt with fire. And then he interceded for the children of Israel and in 32 verse 32, he says, Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and we see a dash there. I talked about that last week. This dash may mean the sobs and the sorrows and the heartache and the tears that Moses was uh, feeling for as he made intercession for the children of Israel. And he said, Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And anyway, we come down to chapter 33 tonight. And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed uh, will I give it. You know, God would not go back upon his word, even though uh, the children of Israel had sinned so against him. We may sin and come short of the glory of God, but God's going to keep His Word regardless of that. He may chasten us along the way, but He's still going to keep His Word. And for the children of Israel, they were going into Canaan's land one way or another. The old wicked generation may die off in the wilderness, but He's still going to take Israel as a nation into that land. And so Israel as a nation is typical of you and I as Christians, that regardless of this life and what we fail to do here, we're still going to be taken in uh, through Christ to the blessings of God. And so we need to understand that, that God always keeps His promise. In verse 2 it says, And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, look, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. He says, I'm going to drive out all your enemies. There's always the enemies of God's children. You and I have enemies, just as Israel had. And you know the three great enemies of our soul are the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world around us, the flesh within us, and the devil walking about as a roaring lion seeking whom we may devour. And you and I have to constantly battle these three great enemies of the Christian. These nations represent the various evils that Christians must war against. The Amorites here, look, the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, uh, the Hittite rather, and the Perizzite and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. All of these represent various 
uh, evils that Christians must war against. And there's not just one, is there? It wasn't just one ite in that land. There were all the various ones. So it means that you and I have a numerous, uh, a great number of evils to, to war against. And he says in verse 3, Unto a land, I'm going to take you unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. Now God was still angry with the children of Israel because of their sins. And uh, he's uh, bringing a sad note here. He says, I'm not going to go with you. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned, and no man did put on his ornaments. It brought sadness to their hearts, sorrow and lamentation. And you know this is the first hopeful sign when God's people begin to see what they've done and, and mourn over their condition. When, you see, when we see we've sinned uh, in an individual way, you know, we can, wherever we are uh, as individual Christians, and we realize that we've sinned against God, then's the time to repent and turn to God. And that's exactly what they were. They were feeling a, a sorrow heart, and they they were mourning, and they would not uh, put on. They didn't have so much joy. They would not put on their ornaments. For the Lord had said unto Moses, saying to the children of Israel, "You are a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Therefore, now put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee." Didn't mean that God didn't. Uh, had any uh, lack of knowledge as to what his judgment would be he was waiting for their response he wasn't saying I don't know what to do he was saying I'm going to wait till the proper time and do it I'm going to see how you respond and the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Horeb they humbled themselves there and Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp uh, afar off from the camp and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out into the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. By the way, this is the tent. It's not the tabernacle that we've been studying because Moses had just received the uh, instructions as to how to build that. And in fact, we begin reading in chapter 35 where they begin to... Uh, construct and they begin to collect the materials and then they construct it. We've been reading the instructions of it. And what we've been studying it has not yet been done. And we've been giving you detailed study of it. But now we find that this tent, actually, that he sets up as a place, a meeting place for, uh, with God, and the children of Israel that wanted to meet with God had to come out and meet with Moses there at the tabernacle, or this tent, rather. And this is not the same tabernacle that we've been studying. Uh, let's read verse 7 again. Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out into the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. And it came to pass when Moses went out into the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, look, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses and all the people saw the cloudy pillar 
stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. This cloudy pillar, we run across it earlier in Exodus 13 and 14. Let me turn back to Exodus 13, verse 21. 13:21 says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them in the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. By the way, this pillar of cloud and fire went before them all through their wilderness journeys. And when this cloud lifted and moved, the children of Israel would have to dismantle later on when the tabernacle was constructed. They'd have to dismantle the literal tabernacle and move wherever God moved. It was God's leading and God's guidance. And it went before them. Then if it stood still, they had to stop. And they had to set the tabernacle up. We're not talking about the tent that Moses had here. We're talking about the one that was constructed later. So it was symbolical of the Holy Spirit, which is uh, that leading that Christians have in our lives. When the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us and tells us to move, it's time to move. And we're to follow that leading, every Christian. You know, there's several things I'd like to give you about the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. If you have chapter 14 of Exodus, I'll give you another verse. Verse 19 and 20. It says, The angel of God which went before the camp of Israel removed and went behind them, and the pillar uh, of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, that is the Egyptians, but it gave light by night to these, that's the children of Israel, so that the one came not near the other all the night. <coughs> We've seen that it was given to them for light. It was given to them for guidance. It was given to them for protection uh, from the heat of the day. You remember the scripture says, The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. So God is going to take care of us by day and night. And uh, He's given that promise to us through the Holy Spirit that we're protected. If that pillar of cloud and fire is typical of the Holy Spirit, let me give you some details. The cloud was not given to Israel until they had been delivered from Egypt. If you remember the 12th chapter and the, uh, shows us uh, their deliverance by the Passover lamb, the 13th chapter tells us how they were to come uh, uh, out of the Red Sea and uh, Actually, God gave it to, to them upon their deliverance from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. In the 14th chapter, we see that uh, they were actually crossing the Red Sea. And the 14th chapter, verse 19 and 20, which we just read, shows that God gave them that pillar of cloud and fire for protection. And so that the Holy Spirit does not come to indwell a believer until he is saved. You read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. It says, Now listen carefully. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, or upon believing, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So, it's given to the believer the moment and immediately upon receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And upon 
the fact of being born again into the family and kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit is given. And the cloud was God's gift to Israel. You notice, when they were delivered from Egypt, uh, God didn't say, now if you... If, you, if the children of Israel will pray, and if they'll seek uh, a pillar of cloud, if they'll seek my guidance, I'll give them a cloud and a pillar of fire by night. They were not told to pray for it. You know, a lot of people think that they have to pray to have the Holy Spirit. And, and that's been a teaching. You know, pray for the baptism. Isn't that the, the modern popular evangelistic theme? Uh, in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, the word the Holy Spirit is mentioned time and time again. And first it tells us in the verse I just quoted that upon believing, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it says, He's the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. Later on, I believe it's in the fifth chapter, Paul says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And there's no place in that book of Ephesians that it tells the believer to pray for the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you find that people are told today that that's what they have to do. And the longer you seek and the longer you pray, the more likely you are to receive that baptism. Now then, I know that the Holy Spirit is real and I know He comes in and fills the hearts of those that believe and He leads and guides His children and He's given to us as a free gift and the, clouds, the cloud was God's gift to Israel. And they did not have to seek this cloud nor pray for this cloud. So the Holy Spirit is given to the believer as an act of grace. And Jesus said in John chapter 14, let me give you this. In John chapter 14, I want you to look at this verse. <clears throat> it tells us this. And verse 16. John 14 and verse 16. I want you to notice. It says, And I will pray the Father. Jesus said He'd do the praying. And He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him. But ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. You see, Jesus says, I'll pray the Father, and He'll give you the Holy Spirit. And He's going to abide with you. He shall be in you and He shall abide with you forever. Look in chapter 16. In verse 13. Chapter 16, verse 13. How be it when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you. How, did the, how, was the children, how were the children of Israel guided? By the pillar of cloud and fire, right? It says, How be it when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. You see, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak of himself, he speaks of Christ. And he glorifies Christ. And that's a little different wrinkle than some of them give the uh, teaching concerning the Holy Spirit. The cloud was given to guide Israel, just as the Holy Spirit is given to guide us. The cloud was given for a light, just as it tells us that He will show you things to come. He's given to a light for us, the Holy Spirit is. The cloud was given for a covering. Look in Psalm 105. Let me give you this scripture. Psalm 105 and verse 39. Look at this. He spread a cloud for a covering 
and fire to give light in the night. A covering. He spread a cloud for a covering. The Holy Spirit is our covering from any of the elements that would hurt us. Anything in that verse I quoted a little bit ago, the sun shall not smite thee by day. It was a cloud to cover them, give them a shade. Have you ever been out in the heat of the sun and God sends a cloud over, a literal cloud, and that cloud comes between uh, the sun and, and the earth and my, it's just cool all of a sudden? Well, that's what God did for Israel in the daytime. And at night, when it was dark, He sent a pillar of fire so that they would be guided by night. And it, it was the same presence of God that did all this. And He took not away uh, this pillar of cloud and fire throughout all their wilderness journeys. God spake from the cloud. Psalm 99, verse 7. Look at this. Psalm 99, verse 7. He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar. They kept His testimonies and the ordinance that He gave them. Doesn't the Holy Spirit speak to us? He comes and speaks to us. And then we find, furthermore, this same cloud we've already mentioned was darkness to the Egyptians and it was light to the children of Israel. We read that in the 14th chapter, remember? The cloud came and stood between the camp of, of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel and it was darkness to the Egyptians and it was light to the children of Israel. The same Holy Spirit that is enlightening to the child of God is darkness to the sinner. That's why the Bible says, "...in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not." Now listen. "...lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them." That's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, "...if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost." And it tells us that... that uh, the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. So they're in darkness. But the Holy Spirit is able to enlighten. And He is, of course, light to God's people. This cloud rested on the tabernacle as soon as it was uh, erected in Exodus 40. Look here. In Exodus 40, and we'll progress in our chapter-by-chapter uh, chapter study, but let me give you this ahead of time. When... Moses finally constructed the tabernacle. At the end of the 40th chapter of Exodus, you drop down to verse uh, 33 and 34. It says, And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court gate. And that's the last part of it. And we won't read all the other right before that. So Moses finished the work. Then, look at that. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When? At the end of the tabernacle being erected. The cloud was never taken from Israel. And we've already mentioned that. Regardless of what they did, regardless of what they felt, regardless of how they acted, so when a person is saved and he receives the Holy Spirit as God's gift, he is never to be taken away. Now, people may grieve the Holy Spirit. We may not listen to Him. We may have to be uh, uh, convicted of our wrongdoings. But that Holy Spirit is going to be there as long as you're here. And He's going with you to heaven. And uh, if you look in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 19. Let me give you this. Nehemiah 9, verse 19. <clears throat> it says this. 
Yet thou in thy manifold mercies... Well, let's read verse 18. We could go on uh, back and read of all their sins, but we'll just connect it with their sins. But Nehemiah 9, verse 18. Yea, when they had made them a molten calf, that's about as far as sinful as they could get, isn't it? Make an idol. And he said, Thou shalt not uh, uh, have, uh, have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make in thee any uh, images to worship. And then, when they had made them a, go- a molten calf and said, This is thy God that brought thee out of Egypt and had wrought, a great, and wrought great provocations, yet thou... Look at this. Talk about God's people having God's blessings and... Uh, presence in spite of all their sins. He's going to, he, remember, he was angry with them and he did certain things to bring judgment upon them. And yet it says, Yet thou in thy manifold mercies forsookest them not in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way wherein they should go. Thou gavest also thy good spirit to instruct them, and withheldest not the, thy manna from their, their mouth, and gavest them water for their thirst. God is gracious, isn't he? You and I must realize that, that we are sinners. And as Christians, we sin, too. But on the other hand, God is faithful to his word. You know, you've heard a lot of this theology that's floating around in the world today. Well, if you do this, God's going to take His Holy Spirit away and He's going to take your salvation. He's going to take this and that and the other and leave you right where you started from. That's not true. It's just not biblical. It's just not scriptural. If you're a child of God, you belong to Him. Now, if you get real wicked and mean and do things you ought not do, He's not going to put up with it. And don't think that there's... uh, a small price tag to sinning. There's a high cost to sinning. And you're going to have to be chastened and sometimes uh, even very severely. But God is not going to forsake you. You may forsake Him, but He's not going to forsake you. And we can be thankful that God is such a God as we have promised in His Word. Back in the book of Exodus now, I wanted to give you those things about the pillar of cloud and fire and how it's typical of the Holy Spirit. Now let's go on in chapter 33, if you have, of Exodus. Chapter 33. In verse 9 and 10 we read, And the people saw, verse 10, the cloudy pillar that uh, stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. Moses was very definitely very close to God. And he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people. You know, Moses is rehearsing now. He says, God, I'm doing what you told me to do. You said to me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know uh, whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now, and I want you to get this, we talked some of it last week, show me now thy miracles. Look at your Bible. And your signs and wonders in Egypt. That's not what it says. Show me now thy way. You remember we read, look in Psalm 
103, verse 7. We gave you this Wednesday night, but I think it's worth repeating. Psalm 103, verse 7. It says, He made known His ways unto Moses, His acts unto the children of Israel. Ways and acts. Now, Moses didn't say here, If I found grace in thy sight, hold those two places. He didn't say, if I found grace in thy sight, show me now your acts. He knew about God's acts. He knew he had taken the rod and he had brought all the judgments upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He had seen God's wonders, but he says, now God, I want to know your way that you command. You see, there's a lot of people wanting the acts or the miracles and not obedient to the way as having found grace in the eyes of the Lord. How many people say, how can I serve God, not how many miracles will He give me? Now, God will do wonders for you. Don't misunderstand me. God did wonders for Israel. In fact, it's a wonder that He gave them manna throughout their 40 years of wandering uh, wandering in the wilderness after all their sins, isn't it? And He gave them water from the rock, and He gave them that pillar of cloud and fire we just talked about. And it said in the book of Nehemiah that He never did take it away regardless of their sinfulness. He still gave them leadership and guidance. And He he had shown them the, the miracles. But how many people are wanting to know God's way so that they may obey Him? If you'll concentrate upon that part of it, God will do the rest of it. And Moses realized the most important thing was to know God's way. He says, Lord, if I found grace in your sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee. He says, I want to draw closer to you that I may know thee. He was speaking of a more intimate and close fellowship with God. That I may find grace in thy sight. And consider that this nation is thy people. Look, he's getting on the right terms again of intercession, isn't he? He says, God, you remember, God said to Moses, he says, this people. He says, thy people, which you brought up out of the land of Egypt. And Moses says, no, consider thy people. Uh, And he said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. God gave him this promise. He says, I'm going to be present with you, Moses, regardless. and, And I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. He didn't want to go anywhere without the presence of God. You know, this should be a desire for you and I. We just can't go out here helter-skelter and say, God, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do the other, and I'm going to fight the Amorites and the Hittites and the Jebusites. I'm going to come all, overcome all these evils that are against me. Never mind where you are. No. If, thou, if thy presence does not go with me, Don't take us up against these enemies. I don't want to go against those enemies on my own, do you? Do you want to go out there and battle the the evils of the world on your own? Certainly not. We want God's presence, don't we? And only can we overcome those enemies if He goes with us. And Moses knew that and he says, this is what I'm going to stand for. If you don't go with me, I don't want to go. Remember, we sing the song, if Jesus goes with me, I'll go what? Anywhere. Okay, God's presence is the main thing. And you know, we ought to be that desirous of God's leadership and presence and guidance in the New Testament era as well as in the Old Testament. Remember Paul, he was going to go somewhere and preach in Bithynia and the Spirit suffered him not. He was going to another place and and the Spirit said no, wouldn't permit him to go. 
And then in a vision of the night, he saw a man of Macedonia. And in that vision, he says, come over and help us. And and Paul said, immediately we, we gathered, we considered that it was the Holy Spirit dealing with us that we should go into Macedonia. We went over there, the Spirit led them there. The Holy Spirit. Remember when uh, old Philip was preaching in a revival meeting down in Samaria and people were accepting the Lord and he was baptizing people and, and God was doing miracles through Philip, the evangelist? And what, what happened? God spoke to him and he says, go down to the desert. Called him out of that big church and all that uh, success and glory and prosperity, you might say. And he says, go down to the desert, Gaza. And he goes down there and he says, join yourself to this chariot. There was an Ethiopian riding in a chariot, returning from Jerusalem. He says, the Spirit said, go and join thyself to the chariot. And immediately, Philip ran. He didn't waste any time, did he? And joined himself to the chariot. And he spoke, of course, you know the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And how he was reading in the prophet Isaiah. And he said, uh, who's the prophet speaking about himself or some other man? He was reading where he's led as a lamb to the slaughter, sheep before shares his dumb soul. He opened not his mouth. And uh, the Bible says, Philip began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And you know the story of the conversion of that eunuch. Well, anyway, what we're saying is we need to be as concerned about God's leadership today and even more so. God had already called Moses to deliver the children of Israel. He didn't doubt his calling. And he was about the business of doing it. And he was still carrying on the work of God. But he says he came to realize that he must have God's presence. Verse 16, For wherein shall it be known here that I and, and thy people... Look at that. Moses says, God, these are your people. You nevertheless, you, you've already not wanted to claim them for a while. But he says, nevertheless, you're your people. He says that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight. Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated. I and thy people, he repeats it again, and all the people that are upon the face of the earth. We're going to be separated from all the people on the face of the earth because we're your people. We're set apart to you. The Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. My what intercessory power Moses had with God. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Moses said, he's pressing the point now. He says, God, I want to see your glory. He knew God was with him. He knew he'd found grace in the sight of God. And he says, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim, proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. In the face of the glory of God's consuming presence, he says, no one can look upon my face and live. Now, when it says that uh, they saw God face to face, it's speaking in a veiled fashion always, as far as man is concerned. And notice what it says here. But God gave him something in spite of all this. Moses' desire was so strong that in verse 21, uh, the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me. I want you to look at this. 
There is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cleft of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, after he passes by, I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. You know, we have a song. What is the song? Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Why? There's there's only one place for the Christian to see God's glory. And that's to be hidden in Christ, who is the rock of ages. And to be hidden in the cleft of the rock. Because we've seen as much of God's glory as we can see in a veiled fashion. Jesus veiled himself in human flesh. And remember, one time on the Mount of uh, Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John went up there with him. And he was transfigured figured before them and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light and these three fell upon their faces to the to the ground with the blindness of that brightness of Christ he manifested in other words he unveiled that flesh and he uh, was just literally brilliant before them in all of God's glory so much so that they could not look upon Christ at that moment in time Remember, John saw him too on the uh, Isle of Patmos in the book of Revelation. Let me read for you. We're talking about God's glory now. Look in the book of Revelation chapter 1. We'll be studying this very shortly. It says uh, in verse 12, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle, his priestly, divine priestly attire. And then he says, His head and his hairs were white like wool, showing his uh, long age, that he's from eternity to eternity. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, penetrating, illuminating, powerful, cleansing, and his feet like the fine brasses that they burned in a furnace. Remember, uh, the brass speaks of judgment. So he will stand in judgment against all that's sinful. And then his voice is the sound of many waters. The power of God's voice is seen in the psalm. It says it's like the thunder. It's like the ocean. It's like the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. The word of God came, comes from Christ. And it says, And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And, and John says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Now look, I like this verse. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, now I'm alive again. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. So he says, John, don't fear. He says, I'm he that liveth, and I was dead. But he says, Behold, I'm alive forevermore. I'll never die anymore. I died for the sins of the world, and I rose again the third day. I ascended back to the right hand of the power of, uh, on high. And here, John saw him in a glorified fashion. And so Moses says, I want to see that glory back in Exodus now. And God says, "You can. I will hide you in the cleft of the rock. 
Okay, let me try to come practical to you and I for just a moment. Think of it. Isn't there times that we would just say, I'd love to see God's presence and God's glory in the person of Christ and I'd like to just see more of God and more of His divine majesty and glory. And yet, God says, I'm going to give you only a certain amount of that while you're here. Now, there will be a day when we're glorified together with Him that we shall be like Him. For we shall what? See Him as He is. First John chapter 3 tells us. But now we cannot do that. But the... the the, the thing I want to get over to you is what uh, the Lord said to Moses in verse 21. The Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me. The Christian's place is beside the Lord and close to the Lord. And so here we find a place where we can draw real close to God. And we find that that place is representative of Jesus himself. The, the closest you and I can get to God is the closest we can get to, to Christ. And God's Word directs us into the, the very closeness of Christ on the basis of our obedience uh, to His Word and our willingness to draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith and the things that are laid out in God's Word. <clears throat> the Bible speaks of those that draw close to God in the Psalms many times. And it tells us that uh, we need to draw into that place of closeness to God. Chapter 34, The Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone, like unto the first, and I will write upon these, look, tables, the words that were in the first tables, which thou breakest. And be ready in the morning, and come up, into the, uh, come up in the morning unto, the Mount, unto Mount Sinai, and present thyself <clears throat> what there to me in the top of the mount. You know, God gives us specific directions as to what we're to do. Now, Moses couldn't argue with God and say, God, now look, if you want me to hew these two tables of stone, will you come down with the law? God says, come up to the mount and you be exactly where I told you to be. And that's where these things will be carried out. Sometimes we take too much for granted in the presence of God. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before that mount. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up into the Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now here's a message. And the Lord passed uh, before him and proclaimed. Now, here's what God proclaimed. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now, look. And that will by no means clear the guilty. God says, I'm merciful, I'm gracious, I'm long-suffering, I will extend, I'll be patient, I'll be kind, kindness of God, the sympathy of God, the love of God, the goodness of God. All is extended. But he says, and that will by no means clear the guilty. 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and, and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped and said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let me, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. You see, Moses was showing his oneness with the people. He was showing that whatever they did, he was with them. And whatever he was confessing, he was confessing himself along with them. You know, Nehemiah did the same thing. Remember in the book of Nehemiah when the people were, uh, the walls were broken down of the city, Jerusalem was in ruins. And Nehemiah come, came before God in prayer and he says, we confess, you said God if we would come and confess our sins. He didn't say, I'm coming and I want them to confess their sins. Nehemiah was uh, the king's cupbearer, right? Nehemiah was a, a very uh, good, uh, honest Christian man. We'll put it in the term of Christian or a godly man in the old days. So we find that, and yet he says, we have sinned against you. We have done these evil things. And he included himself with all the rest of the sins of the Jews. And Moses is doing the same thing. And you know, it's never out of line for the leader of God's children to consider himself with them in every respect. Remember when old uh, Isaiah, in the sixth chapter, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled his temple. Remember the seraphim, they cried out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. By the way, it takes twice as much to worship God as it does to serve God. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain the activity he did fly. And then we find at the end of that vision, what happened? Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So he realized that he was not so exceptional either. And he was a prophet of God. But he had his eyes on Uzziah, didn't he? On an earthly king. He should have had his eyes on the Lord. And it was in the year when King Uzziah died, he says, that I saw also the Lord. And a lot of times we have our eyes in the wrong direction, don't we? And so Moses said, uh, For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. And he said, Behold, I uh, make a covenant before all thy people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. Now here God says, I'm going to do marvels in bringing them in. Moses says, Show me the, thy way. And then God says, Before the children of Israel, I'm going to do the marvels. Uh, such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people which are, uh, among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord, for it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Observe thou uh, that which I command thee this day. Behold, I, I drive out before thee the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. 
Now he says, Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whither thou goest, lest it be a snare in the midst of thee. God says, I'm giving you a warning. You can't compromise with evil. You know, we said earlier that these ites were typical of the evils that the Christian is to fight against. And every once in a while the Christian says, Well, now I'm strong enough. I'm a pretty strong Christian. And I can deal with this sin or that sin or the other evil that comes along. Brother, you better put them all away. And make no compromise with any of them. Because the first thing that will happen, you'll yield a little here and a little there. And it will be like the children of Israel when they went into Canaan's land. They made compromises with various nations. And they were a snare and a thorn in the flesh all the way through. And the very moment you compromise with sin, with any evil in your life, it's going to take hold of you and it's going to turn around and bite you. And it's going to be the worst thing that ever happened in your Christian life. You say, well, preacher, you mean that I'm to be separated? Yes, the Bible teaches separation. You know, there's a lot of God's people, truly born-again Christians today, that are just compromising with sin here and there. And the first thing you know, they're getting bit on every side. Something's happening on every turn turn of the road. It's because you're compromising with sin. You can't do it. Don't let. Don't give it a chance.